Please turn in your Bibles to the letter of Jude. The letter of Jude. This morning we'll be hearing verses 24 and 25. So that's the letter of Jude, the penultimate book of the Bible. The letter of Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. And in many ways, that's all I need to do this morning, isn't it? <laughs> the letter of Jude. Uh, before I get to those verses, we need to understand the context in which they come. The letter of Jude is written to a congregation that Jude would love to talk to and write to about the glorious salvation that is theirs in the Lord Jesus Christ. He would love, he says in the opening uh, of his letter in verse 3, talk to you, write to you about our common salvation. But unfortunately, he can't do it. Because within this church that he's writing to, there are those who have crept in, who are bringing a different gospel that is no gospel at all, that is leading people astray. And the purpose of Jude's letter is to say, be careful. Because there are people coming in who are saying, because the grace of God has come, it doesn't matter how you live. There is freedom to do anything you want. But they are leading people away from the truth of the gospel. Which is that when the grace of God comes... It is so that you may live a holy life of good works to the Lord. And so unfortunately he has to remind them that if they follow along with this false teaching and they live ungodly lives which show that they have not truly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what awaits them is not a glorious future with the Lord, but instead his judgment will come upon them. And he uses biblical history, he uses some of the things that are known to the Jews of that day. He uh, speaks to them of those things that the Lord has done in the past to prove this point. And to warn them that they must turn from these false teachers. And then in the last section from verse 17 to 23, he gives them some positive commands on how they are to live the Christian life. But I want you to just think about what it would be like to have heard that letter for the first time. To be in that congregation as Jude's letter is being read. And to think to yourself, now hold on a minute, I understand what he's talking about here. I've heard that teaching that Jude is talking about. I've, I've thought it was feasible. It sounded really good. These people who have come in, they're talking with great confidence. They seem to know what they're 
they're saying. They seem to understand these things much better than I, and I've been drawn away to there. And hearing the warnings of Jude here, it might be that you have been cut to the heart. You've wondered, maybe I am outside of Christ. Maybe I'm not a believer. Maybe the judgment of God is going to rest on me. What must I do? Well, friends, here is one thing that I would say to you. Is that if you had heard those words of the warnings and you were cut to the heart, then what I say to you is praise the Lord. Because it suggests that these things are serious for you and you realise your need of a saviour and you realise that there is such a thing as a false gospel and that you can go astray. But you may be feeling the weight of having been tempted away. You may be feeling that weight of having stumbled into sin. And so as these verses come at the end of Jude's letter, which are not a blessing as some other of the New Testament letters, but a what we call a doxology, an ascription of glory to God. Within this ascription of glory to God, what we are hearing are words that are good for our souls. To those who are struggling sinners who still trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. And the first thing that encourages us is to hear that the Lord God is a God who keeps his people. Look at the words. Let me read from the authorised version at this point. And there are other versions that use this as well. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from falling. He who is able to keep you from falling. You hear those words. And you know that you have struggled with sin in your own life. You may have been tempted away by that false teaching. But here this word comes and it says to you that the God that we worship is a God who is able to keep you from falling ultimately into sin and under damnation. He is a God who keeps his people from that ultimate end of the judgments of God. He is a God who is powerful enough to come and intervene in the lives of his people. He is a God who, when he sees his people going to that cliff edge where it looks as if they may fall into eternal damnation, he comes by his spirit and he turns them away from that temptation and he rescues them. He keeps you from falling. So if you have felt that you have made mistakes, if you've made sins and you think, how can I come to this God? Here is an encouragement for you that this Lord God will keep you from falling. He will not let you come under his damnation because he loves you and he has called you to himself and he will keep you to the very end. Isn't that a great word of encouragement for us? Isn't that what we need to hear as Christians as we struggle through the trials of temptations of this life? As bad as it may be, he will keep us. Because we need to remember that he is the one who saves, not us. And he is the one who works in our hearts. But I read to you from the ESV. 
I mean, that's great enough, isn't it, that the Lord keeps us from finally falling. But I read to you from the ESV, who translates that word, who can keep you from stumbling. This God is even so powerful that he can work in our everyday lives and in our hearts so that we can resist temptation and not even come into that point of stumbling. Amazing, isn't it? And isn't this what we need? Don't we know trials and temptations, friends? Don't we see trouble everywhere? Oh, how it would be if we were stronger, we say. Oh, if only I had holiness and faith. Oh, if only I had such as the saints of the past. Well, friends, if you're going along like that, thinking that you are not strong enough to stand in this evil day, well, you're right. You cannot. You do not have the power. You do not have the strength to face trials and temptations when they come in and of yourself. But here this word gives us a great reminder that it's not us that does this work. It is the Lord himself working in us. He is the one who has taken us from darkness into his glorious light. He is the one who has saved us from the wrath to come to be his people. And he is the one who is working in us day by day. He is sanctifying us by his spirit. And we who were dead in our trespasses are alive. And that old man that still wars against the spirit is still there. But day by day the Lord is putting him to death. And so friends we need to be encouraged that this God who can keep us from finally falling is the God who can keep us from today stumbling into sin. And so, friends, each and every day, we must cry out to the Lord for that help. For he is able, and let me tell you, he is willing to work in the hearts of his people, to keep them from stumbling into sin, to sanctify them day by day, to help them grow in love and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, here is a word from the Lord himself to remind us that he is able to keep you from stumbling. The Lord is able to keep his people. Second thing we see from these glorious words of doxology is that the Lord presents us before himself. To get to the end of this point, I need to start right back at the beginning. I just need to remind you of some truths. Friends, because of the sins of our first parents, Adam and Eve, each one of us is conceived in sin and born in trespasses. It's not a very popular message today, is it? That's the truth. We are by nature, as Paul writes in Ephesians, children of wrath. It is right and proper that we come under that judgment of God because we are sinners by nature. We have rebelled against our Creator. And friends, if you want the truth of this, a truth which one writer said was as plain a fact as potatoes. This is a great line, isn't it? Just look at the world outside. 
Just look at the world in which we live. Don't even have to look outside, do we? Look inside. Don't we know the truth of this? Why is it that the world is in the state that it is? Is it because all the institutions of society are wrong and we need to upend them and make them better so we can live in a wonderful utopia? No. Utopia can never exist. Why? Because human beings are sinners. That's the reality. And because we are sinners, we have rebelled against our Creator and we come under His judgment. And so when you hear these words that this God not only keeps you from falling, but He presents you blameless before the presence of His glory, well, Friends, this is remarkable news, isn't it? This isn't just something we gloss over when we read the word of God. The Lord God takes us who are dead in our trespasses and he brings us before himself. That is impossible. Because us who are filthy and dirty in our sin by nature cannot come before this God who is holy and righteous and perfect in every respect. How can it be possible? Well, the glorious truth is, is that by ourselves it is impossible, but what is impossible for us is possible for God and has been made possible by God. He's made this a reality by sending his Son into the world. And this Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, did what you and I cannot do. For he lived a life with all those trials and temptations that we know, but he did not fall into sin. And so he was obedient to his father, even to this point of dying upon the cross at Calvary, which was no accident. It was not just a bit of bad luck. It's not a real shame that this happened to such a promising young preacher. It wasn't because he tweaked the nose of the Roman authorities or anything like that. It was because this was his mission from the beginning, to die for the sake of his people on the cross, to be that servant who gave his life as a ransom for many. And so you, friend, would be forgiven of your sin and now have entry into the heavenly places. And so that is what we read in Scripture, isn't it? That the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross for us. And in him all our sins were placed and in him all our sins were put to death. And that legal record that stands against us, that condemns us at the bar of God, the, in the court of God, has been washed clean. There we go. It's glorious, isn't it? Washed clean. And just as he rose again from the dead, so we too have been raised to life with him. And just as he ascended into the heavenly places, so we have ascended there with him too. And we have been seated in those heavenly places before the living God, in our Savior. And so it is that Jude says to us that this God is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. 
Friends, there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so when the Lord looks at you now, he sees you blameless. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that glorious news that we need to hear each and every day? And so, friend, if you are under that weight of past sin, if you are feeling that weight of what you have done, look to the Lord and see what he has done for you. He has washed it away. It no longer stands. The blood of Christ has dealt with that sin. And you stand before him now. Notice this. Stand. An almighty God can't look at this God. He's too glorious. He's too amazing. All I must do is grovel in the dust before him, but I, in Christ, stand before him. All because of the work of Christ. And I, who am dirty with my own sin, are standing before him without blemish because of that spotless Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, you hear the warnings in the letter of Jude, but here comes this encouragement to us. You and I, friends, if we're in Christ, are standing before the throne of God, spotless. And we have communion and fellowship with him. And that's what this meal that we will share in later is all about, isn't it? A reminder of that truth, that we can have and do have communion with God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, thirdly, I don't do points, so if I say thirdly, and it's actually the fifth point, then I apologise. Thirdly, these words remind us that the Christian should be a joyful person. Um, Blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Friends, how can we not be full of joy when we've come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How can it not be that our hearts thrill to the Lord Jesus when we consider what he has done for us? How can it be that we are not full of this rejoicing day after day as we think on what God has done for us? And so here is an encouragement to us again to Not look at the things of the world, but to keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done and to rejoice every day for what he has done for us and who he is. But friends, I know it and I know it from experience that not every day is like that, is it? Because friends, we think when we hear these words and we hear preachers talking about how we are to rejoice every day. Again, I say rejoice. We think that has to be sort of the the outward thing. And perhaps some of us would be tempted to put that face on. Oh, I've got great joy in the Lord, brother. When actually in the quietness of our own homes, we're in despair. For the weight of the world is upon us. Friends, let me speak to you today. If you're in that situation. Friends, the providences of God that he sends upon us may lead us to these things. Of darkness coming in. But, O Lord, the God who keeps us, 
The God who brings us before himself without blemish is still the God who is yours today. And in the midst of that darkness, hold on to that great joy because it can be there in the midst of these seasons. Even if outwardly and even in the things you're experiencing, at heart, at the depth of your being, there is this joy that you are Christ's and he is yours. And so, friends, one of the things we must always be doing is not to let this world and all its cares and trials to crowd upon us so that the darkness of those clouds cover the light of Christ from our eyes. The Lord God is still faithful. The Lord God is still the one who presents you blameless. And that is true regardless of your outward feelings at a particular moment. It's true in every circumstance. And so let us cultivate that emotion of joy deep within ourselves that even when that darkness comes, we still remember and still cling to that joy that we have in Christ. And in the Lord's good providence, he will lead us into more glorious seasons. We'll learn more about this in the evening service. So our God is a God who keeps us. He's a God who presents us before himself. He's a God who gives us great joy. Fourth point. He's a God who reigns. Verse 25, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Here's the ascription of glory to our God. It's a reminder that there is only one God. Regardless of what this world says and all the religions that are out there, even though there is this desire to bring all gods down to the same level and say, oh, there's no real difference between religions of the world. That's a lie. There is only one God. I hope you don't mind me saying the basics of our faith, but the world in which we live, we need to be reminded of this day by day, don't we? There is only one God, and there is only one Savior. He has given our Lord Jesus Christ for that. And so we need to remember that each day. That there is one God. There is only one true and living God. And this God, who has saved us and brought us before himself, is the God in whom all power belongs. These four words, glory, majesty, dominion and authority, other versions will translate particularly those last two in different ways perhaps it'll be glory majesty power and authority they speak of the same thing they speak of who god is and they remind us at this at the end of this letter that our god is the one who is in control of all things we need to remember that every day because there are people in this world who will want to take the place of God. There are those who will believe themselves to be the ones in power. There will be those in this world who have money and influence and political power and 
all the rest of it, who will see themselves as being above all others and having that authority to dictate to the world how it lives. They think themselves so clever and so wise. What is it that's said in Psalm 2? The Lord has them in derision. For what they do not know is that it is the Lord who lifts up kings and presidents and business leaders and whoever else it is that has influence. It is the Lord who raises them up and it is the Lord who brings them low. And so all those in our world who would set themselves up as being authorities or rulers or whatever it may be need to understand this truth that they are only there because of the Lord God Almighty who is the true King and Lord of all. And friends, as Christians, do we understand that? Do we understand that although the Lord has given rulers and authorities and it is right that we uh, submit to those that the Lord has given to us, we still acknowledge that God is King and that our primary allegiance is to Him. He has all majesty. He has all glory. He has all dominion. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And the scriptures are a a reminder of that. See how he dealt with Nebuchadnezzar. See how he raised up Cyrus for the good of his church. A man who did not know the God of Israel. See how he is the one who is Lord of all. But, friends, we don't need to concern ourselves with the authorities of this world and those who would set themselves up. For that is what we, by nature, will do. We, by nature, will seek to bring God down from his throne and set ourselves up in his place. How dare anyone tell me what to do? How dare God say that I cannot live in the way that I desire to live. For I am the captain of my soul, as a poet read, uh, wrote. And I will be that final authority in my own life. Friends, that is a great lie. And each one of us must understand this, that it is only to God that all glory and power and authority goes. So what is this word to us as Christians? It is a word to humble ourselves before our God. To seek his face in all things. To know that we are not the ones in charge. To come and submit to him and his will and his word and his purpose. To understand that we live this life to glorify and enjoy him forever. Not to glorify ourselves and enjoy the lusts of our hearts. No, these words take us from the things of this world. Take us from being too inward looking. And they draw our attention to the majesty and the glory of God. And that glory and that majesty and that power and authority is that which was there before all things existed. For he is the creator of the world. He spoke everything into existence. 
That power and glory and authority remains now, at this moment. Each one of us is only breathing now because the Lord God decrees it and all things are in his hand, even to the future. That there will not be a time in the future where God is not upon his throne. But he is working all things according to the purpose of his will, for his glory, and one day will come. And we will see our Saviour come with the clouds, with all his angels. And we will see him face to face and his glory and power and authority will be established so that the world will see in this new creation that is coming. And there will be no more kings to rail against Christ. There will be no more rebellion against him in our hearts. But all will be praise and glory in that glorious new heaven and new earth. Friends, are you ready for that day? And are you living as if that day has already come in your own lives? For he has come to you. He has called you to himself. And he will keep you. He now presents you before himself. He has given us great joy in him. And he is Lord of all, and to him be all the glory.